This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing power and your amazing grace. And I pray that during this Advent season, you would show your people hope. Would you encourage us? And would we see the amazing response of Mary here as an example for all of us? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever received life-changing news? Life-changing news. One conversation, maybe one phone call, one moment that you will never, ever forget. I remember back in the end of the fall of 2020, my wife walked into the room, came up to me and said, well, we're pregnant. And I remember going, we're pregnant? And then going, we're pregnant? We're pregnant? You know, there's all the layers of how you say that, those phrases. There's the, the excitement and the joy and the terror and the, the fear and confusion. I went through all the different stages. But we would also receive a lot of different news throughout this pregnancy, and some not so good, you know, some very terrifying. I remember we went in for appointment after appointment, and eventually we, we sat down across from our doctor, and she told us about how in one of the scans they had found something unusual, and we, we learned all about what a placental tear is and had to experience this terror of realizing that Wilson might not be okay, that um, we were worried about whether he would receive the nutrients that he needed, and so we ended up having to go through weekly ultrasounds after ultrasound after all the ultrasound. And our doctor told us you know, that these things don't often heal, and so we've experienced terror and fear and you know, prayers after prayers and telling family members to please be praying for us you know, as we go to scan after scan to please continue to see that Wilson's growing on track and everything is okay. And then one day, we went into an ultrasound, and sorry, I'm choking up. Uh, we went into an ultrasound, and they couldn't find the tear. They couldn't find it. And our little Wilson was going to be okay. We saw this miracle, these life-changing words, and experienced it firsthand that our son, here he is, you know, baptized last Sunday, a healthy boy, through the miraculous power of God. Life-changing news. And in our text this morning, Mary receives news that she will never forget. And from this conversation, her life will be changed forever, and truly the lives of everyone will be changed forever. No one's life is the same after this conversation. And sometimes when we come to the Bible, we come to a character in, in one of the stories, sometimes it's easy for us to look at a character and say, that is not what we're supposed to do, right? Sometimes you encounter a biblical character and their actions are like the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Here in Mary, her actions are kind of more like a mirror to us. And we look and we look into the mirror and we see all of our inadequacies. We see how we would have responded and we realize how different we are from Mary here. You see, when God sends us unsettling, life-altering news, we respond with fear and sometimes we respond with anger. We object and we rashly shout at God that he doesn't know what is best for us, that he doesn't know what he is doing, and that this cost is too much to bear. And that is why this text is so powerful for us, because it shows us the example of how to respond in faith to the plans of God that we do not understand. How to respond in faith to the plans of God that we do not understand. And we can't even comprehend them. We see the drama of an unplanned pregnancy in the faith of a young girl. 
The coming birth of Jesus is life-changing news, and it is the greatest news. So how will you respond to it this morning? So as we look at our text this morning, we've got three things that we can, we'll jump from. We'll, go, we'll first look at God's unlikely grace, and then second, God's miraculous power, and third, Mary's faithful response. God's unlikely grace, God's miraculous power, and Mary's faithful response. Let us first look at God's unlikely grace. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We see here that Gabriel is being sent to an unlikely place and to an unlikely person. Now, Nazareth is not exactly a prominent place. I don't know if you knew this, but it's not actually even mentioned at all in the Old Testament. Not even mentioned. This is kind of a backcountry, backcountry town, forgotten about, you know, probably doesn't even have a gas station or some streetlights. This is the middle of nowhere. And the one time we've heard it mentioned is John 1, 46, where Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? That's the only time, that's the public perception. If there is any perception, it does not seem to be a good one. Even further, Gabriel is being sent to an unlikely person. You know, Mary at this time is most likely a young teenager. Based upon when people got engaged in this culture, you know, some commentators said she could be 12, she could be 14, which I was kind of blown away by that. She is a poor peasant girl who is most likely illiterate, and what little she knew of Scripture, she probably heard in the synagogue or maybe memorized, but didn't have a you know, large knowledge of Scripture. Commentator Kent Hughes said this of Mary, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. That's his words, so you can't get mad at me. A nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. To the most humblest of places and to the most humblest of people, the greatest news ever would be told. And it's not really what you would expect, right? Like if you were writing this story, if you were making this up yourself, maybe you would send the angel to maybe a more prominent place, maybe Rome. Maybe it would be to the daughter of the emperor or maybe uh, some religious leader in the temple, you know, someone with some significance in the, the temple. Or maybe you choose uh, modern day times and you'd, you'd send the son of God to the daughter of Elon Musk or <laughs> Jeff Bezos or you know, somebody that would seem like maybe more on the map. But God is not like us, and thank God for that. Instead, the greatest news ever proclaimed comes to the lowly Mary. And look at the words she receives in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What a blessing. She is favored and the Lord is with her. We see here that she is being the object of God's grace. You know, sometimes you might hear, especially Roman Catholics teach, that she is the source of God's grace. But we see that this is divine favor that is being bestowed upon her. She is the object. She is the recipient of God's favor based upon no merit of her own. And understandably, she is a little bit troubled by what is happening before her in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the the saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is not, you know, an everyday experience for Mary. And she is trying to figure out what is going on, and so she seeks to understand. But notice in verse 30, we see this repetition again. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
For you have found favor with God. Again, the favor of the Lord, the grace of the Lord being repeated. As I think of unlikely heroes, Leanne and I have recently been watching a show that we really enjoy. But I must give a caveat, you know, it is based in England, so it has some language. I can't give you a full uh, endorsement. But it is a a show called Ted Lasso, which follows a a coach, um, a college football coach who has been given the opportunity to go and to coach in the English Premier League. And so he comes from a college football to the other football, you know, across the water into England. And in a comedic moment in the episode of the first show, um, the the coach Lasso is kind of thrust up onto a press stage, which he is not prepared for at all. And so he sits, and these reporters are just drilling him with question after question. And it becomes very clear that Ted Lasso knows nothing about soccer. Because as he is talking to the reporters, he's telling them, you know, I'm going to give it my all here. I'm going I'm to give it my all for all four quarters. And, and you, you know, the reporter is like, well, they're halves. They're halves. And he's like, well, win or loss, I'm going to give it my all. And he's like, or tie. And, and it just becomes very clear after each statement that he makes, he, he knows nothing about soccer at all. And he gets to the point where one of the reporters stands up and says, is this all a big joke? Is this a big joke? But the reason why I love this show is because as we follow the coach, he leads his team very differently than anyone is used to, and he leads through love. His labor is one of love, and he he treats the reporters with charity. He treats his players with love, even, you know, regardless of their performances, Um, and he is gracious towards them. And when you know it, his love and his grace and his charity begins to have an impact on the culture of this team. Yet to outsiders, it seemed like all a big joke. A man in over his head who had no business coaching an English premier team. An unlikely hero and an unlikely choice. And so it is with the unlikely grace of God to all of us. All a big joke. I wonder if there's anyone that you know, maybe before you became a Christian, that if they saw you today, they would think it is all a big joke that you are here today. All a big joke. To the enemy, to Satan, God's choice seems like all a big joke. Maybe it whispers into your ear sometimes, why on earth would God want to choose someone like you? But Paul reminds us this in 1 Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Like Mary, God's choice of us is based solely upon his mercy and grace. And so let that be an encouragement to us all, especially for some of you who maybe you feel like your life is not significant, that you have nothing to offer, that God couldn't use you. But surely that must have been how Mary had felt, right? That she felt like she had nothing to offer, that her life was insignificant. That when Gabriel came to her, that this must have all been a big joke or a mistake. And yet she alone is going to be the one who nurses the Savior of the world. How amazing and profound is that? One author said this, Hers was the face that unto Christ had the most resemblance. Wow, what a statement. 
the unlikely grace of God seeking out the needy and those very aware of their dependence upon him and him alone in the only hope for sinners like you and me. Amen. This morning, we not only hear the amazing news of God's unlikely grace, but we also hear of his miraculous power. Look with me, look with me at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that her son will be called Jesus. And Jesus literally means God saves or the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. And Jesus is our Savior from sin. And Gabriel communicates a few things about this Jesus to Mary. He tells her first that Jesus would be great. And this might be something we miss, uh, especially as readers today. But whenever you see the word great, especially used without any qualification, if you look throughout the Old Testament, when this adjective is used without qualification, it is used of one person, of God. So seeing this here is actually a declaration of deity that Jesus is divine and that he is the son of God. And we see even further that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the answer to the promise of a coming king in 2 Samuel 7, if you remember these words. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Your throne will be established forever. These are amazing truths that Gabriel is communicating to Mary about her coming son. And understandably, Mary has a question about all this. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And notice one thing about this question. It is not a why and it is not a what question, but it is a how question. That there is some amount that Mary is showing her faith through this question. She does not doubt Gabriel's words, but she just doesn't grasp how such a thing could be possible. And so in verse 35, Gabriel actually answers her question, and he says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel answers her that she would become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a creative act of God. You know, not in any sexual manner, but through the creative power of the Holy Spirit. And we see a clue here from Luke regarding this. We see the word overshadow. Do you notice that? We've seen this before if you think all the way back to Genesis 1-2, when the Holy Spirit overshadows the waters of the earth. And then again in Exodus 40, when the Holy Spirit overshadows the tabernacle. We see this, the creative work of the Holy Spirit, the divine grace of God. And in this moment, Mary asks Gabriel, and he responds with some profound doctrines, if you really think about it. Mary asks the question of how, and he responds with the doctrine of the Trinity, the virgin birth, and the incarnation. It's kind of, you get what you ask for, right, when you start asking how questions. But her mind is understandably blown. I mean, think of the volumes of works that have been written about each one of these doctrines. You can fill up a whole library on this, and here is being, this answer is being presented to Mary in this moment. And yet, each of these beliefs are essential to our faith. Philip Ryken said this, the virgin birth is one of the essential facts and great mysteries of the Christian religion. 
And why are they so significant? Why does it matter? Why does the virgin birth matter to us, to each one of us? The Heidelberg Confession says this in question 35. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? Why does this matter? And it answers this way. He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin, mine since I was conceived. We see that Jesus was made man and yet without sin. He did not inherit our sinful nature. And he is both fully divine and fully human. And he is the only one capable of being our mediator and our savior. That is why it matters. And as Gabriel perfectly states in verse 37, he says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And he actually gives us an illustration of this in verse 36. He brings up the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you remember, this is earlier in chapter 1 of Luke, but we hear about when Gabriel came to Zechariah as he was working in the temple. And he told her that they were about to have a son. And if you remember, Zechariah had been uh, faithfully serving, and imagine after week after week after week where he would come home to his wife expecting and hoping that they would be pregnant and finding out time after time after time that they were not pregnant. And it hit a point where they had given up all hope. Because when the angel comes to him and says, you are about to have a son, he says, whoa, 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 you've made a mistake here. No, no, uh, I'm really old and my wife is really old. You know, we're, she's barren, it's not possible. And all, if you think about that, all Zechariah had to do was think back throughout all of the Old Testament. Who was his God? Think back to the Exodus and the deliverance of God's people through the plagues and seeing the waters open before him, their God was a God that does miracles. Nothing was impossible for their God. He fed the people in the wilderness. He did miracle after miracle after miracle. And here, as an angel is standing before him, he says, whoa, 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 that's impossible. And all he had to do was just recall the Old Testament history of story after story that nothing is impossible with his God. And the amazing thing is that Mary knew this, and Mary would see a miracle firsthand. Do you know this? Do you believe in the miraculous power of God? The power of God to bring new life from above, to save the hopeless. Are there people in your life that you think are hopeless? People you've been praying for 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 years after years, and maybe you've just given up. You said, you know what, they're beyond the grace of God. They're beyond his power. Nothing is impossible to our God. He can bring healing. He can restore relationships. One author put it this way, There is no sin he cannot forgive, no relationship he cannot reconcile, no problem he cannot resolve, no need he cannot meet, no ministry he cannot bless, no grief he cannot comfort, no life he cannot redeem, no sinner he cannot save, The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. Amen. That is our God. And so let us not not lose hope because this is the power of our God. And so we not only hear of God's unlikely grace and his miraculous power, but we see this amazing example in Mary's faithful response. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. After all this unforgettable experience, after all these news, after the three doctrines and these amazing doctrines, what is Mary's response here? Isn't it so profound? Wouldn't you expect a lot more words from Mary? 
maybe a few more questions, maybe some confusion, maybe a little anger. And yet we see this humble response, these brave, these courageous words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And it's almost as if here that Luke is deliberately contrasting the actions of Zechariah and Mary here. Because when Zechariah was presented with these news, if you remember, he, he objects, he says that's impossible. And here Mary responds in faith. She doesn't fully understand God's plan, but she faithfully responds. She takes God at his word and responds as a servant. That's the word she used, as a servant. Humbly submitting to the will of God and trusting in his grace and power. This is such amazing faith. I mean, compare this to some of the heroes of our own throughout the Old Testament. Think of all of the heroes that have been presented with callings from God, and yet they objected. You think Moses, think Gideon, both of whom objected when they were called by God. Yet Mary here responds in faith. And her faith also has a cost. Don't miss what is not being said here. Think about the cost for Mary about what she's going to endure. By choosing this path, Mary has opened herself up to public shame. She'd be carrying around a scarlet letter, opening herself up to public ridicule. Imagine going to go get water, and all the women off into a corner kind of snickering and laughing at Mary and saying things about where this child came from, and the fears of what Joseph might do. Would he divorce her? Would she be left alone? Would she have to raise this child by herself? But she did not let these fears overshadow her faith. And she would not let them to cause her to doubt her God. For she knew that with him nothing would be impossible. You see that her faith and her humility stand out. And they are an example to us all. In the realm of courage and humility, uh, it made me think of one of my favorite miniseries ever, which is the story Band of Brothers. And maybe some of you have seen it. It's a miniseries that tells the tale of Easy Company of the 101st Airborne Division during their time in World War II. And now, these men are men who volunteered to jump out of perfectly good airplanes, to jump behind enemy lines, and they did this the very early mornings of D-Day, and would actually, many of them lived on to do heroic deeds after heroic deeds, and some of them lived through the horrors of Bastogne, if you know about Bastogne, this cold, terrible time where they dug in and waited for American reinforcements to come to them. But they were heroes. And my favorite part of each episode is it starts with an interview of the real men of Easy Company that tell about what's going to happen in each episode and recounting the events and recounting their friends and some of whom that they lost and the deeds that were about to be portrayed in the show. And when one of these interviews, one of the men comments, I didn't do it for medals or accolades. I did it because it had to be done. How amazing is that? And then their humility is so profound because it, the series ends with one veteran who tells of a conversation he had with his grandson, where the grandson asks him, Grandpa, were you a hero in the war? And his response was, no, but I served in a company of heroes. That is the level of humility of these brave heroes. They sacrificed so much, and they volunteered. They were brave, and they were humble, and they are an inspiration to us all. Truly, we stand on the shoulders of giants, men who have gone before us, men and women who have gone before us and paved a way, and we follow them in their example. And from this text this morning, I would argue that Mary is one such giant of faith, a humble, poor peasant girl from the middle of nowhere, never to be forgotten, 
For she is a giant in faith, a giant in humility, and a giant in submission to her God. And ultimately, her actions point us to the very son that she was about to give birth to. The one that this Advent season is all about, the one that we remember, and the one that we long for to return. Jesus is our perfect illustration of humility, the perfect humility, and that he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And he perfectly submitted himself to God. He bore the cup of God's wrath, saying that not my will, but yours be done. And through his work on the cross, truly the impossible became possible. All of us who were dead in our sins have been made alive, made alive through the work of Christ. We've been raised to life. And it's freely offered to all of us who respond in repentance and faith. In closing, around this time of year, I'm always reading Tolkien, so he's always in my mind. I try and read The Lord of the Rings around Christmas. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is at the end of the series when Sam asked Gandalf, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, and then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter or the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? That is the question of Advent. That is the question that we think about throughout Advent. Mary knew the answer. Mary felt the answer growing in her womb. She experienced the unlikely grace and miraculous power of her Savior. Let us pray. Father, we are overwhelmed with your grace and your power. Is everything sad going to come untrue, we ask you, Lord? And the answer is yes in Christ. Thank you for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.